Hi there, and welcome to another episode of GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm Vicky Tellios, and I will be one of your hosts for this episode. And I'm Nicole Poznov. I'll be your other host. And today, we're happy to welcome Jenna Schultz to the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? We're doing okay, I think. Um, so just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit more about the program that you're enrolled in here at Western? Yeah, so I'm in the combined um, MPT PhD program. So it's the Masters of Physical Therapy combined with a PhD. Uh, so at the end of five years, I hopefully walk away with both degrees. So it's kind of a really cool program that I get both clinical experience, but also research as well. Wow, that sounds competitive. <laughs> Was that hard to get into? Yeah, um, I, they take like between the average, I think, per year they take is two students, um, two to three. So our year they did end up taking a bit more because I think they had some more room for some students, but usually around two to three students. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the process of getting into this program? Because it does seem highly competitive. Yeah, so I was in undergrad and I kind of have always wanted to do physio um, or something in healthcare. I grew up playing a lot of sports and I also am injured quite frequently. So I've always wanted, I've always been around a clinic and it's really something that I wanted to do. And in my fourth year, um, I did a thesis project and I really was, that was really my first introduction to research. And I really liked um, my supervisor and my lab and just being in a lab environment. And I found out that Western had this program and I thought it was kind of the best of both worlds for me to be able to continue with research um, but also still get that clinical experience and be in a physio clinic. And um, so I applied straight off out of undergrad and uh, got in and been here since. So this is my ninth year at Western. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like triple alumni at this point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no worries. It's like my seventh year at Western. So I'm right behind you. Same <laughs> here, same here. <laughs> It's hard to leave once you get started. Well, it's such a good school. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> <and so> comfortable. <laughs> so you mentioned you're doing a little bit of PT as well as your PhD. So um, tell me a little bit about how that program works. Do you start off in a PT course load or do you start off with your research project? So you start off with research. Okay. Um, so we are we get the choice to either do two years of straight PhD two years of PT and then one year of PhD to finish everything off at the end. Or you can do three years straight PhD and two years physio and then you still defend after your last mm -hmm. physio term or that summer hopefully. Um, so I did three and two just because it lined up better with the projects that I've been working on. Um, but I know a lot of people also do the two, two and one. For example, if they're recruiting, it works well for them because the two years that they're at physio, their data still being collected, and then they come back that last year and analyze it. Uh, okay, so that would be like the benefit of choosing one or the other for future mm -hmm. students going into the program? Yeah, definitely. Just depends on how it fits with your research. So for example, I, for mine, um, it's been an ongoing study that we've been working on, but it's been ongoing for multiple years. So I already had a lot of the data. Um, we're still collecting as it, we go along, but I have a big chunk of it. So. I've been able to get started on all of that stuff and spent the first three years getting started on that. So could you go into a little more detail about exactly what your research is? Like what kind of data are you collecting here? 
Um, so my research is focused on knee osteoarthritis patients. So at Western, we are, I think the biggest center, I don't know if it's, it might be actually in the world, definitely in North America, um, for the surgery, it's called a high tibial osteotomy. Basically with the surgery, what they do is it's for patients who are like varus or bow-legged, and that alignment then increases that pressure on that medial side of your knee, um, and that causes arthritis or is one of the risk factors for OA. Um, and so basically with this surgery, what they do is they come in, it's quite a crude surgery. They come in, they just literally use this, uh, it's like a wedge and they wedge open the tibia to make sure to realign that joint. So then it's flat. Um, and then it decreases that load on that medial side. And so my specific, my project is we're looking at this HDO trial that again, has been ongoing um, at Western now. I think it's five years. It's been ongoing, so we do have a lot of data. Um, and I'm specifically looking at measures of inflammation associated with OA and seeing if those measures of inflammation um, change post-surgery. So I'm so curious about this surgery because the way you described it sounds so crude, I guess, is how you described it as well. Um, have you ever seen one of the surgeries before, just out of yeah. curiosity? You have. I actually, for one of my, one of the outcomes that I'm looking at, we're looking at synovial fluid, which is okay. just the lubricating fluid in your joint um, mm -hmm. that helps with your, the movement of the bones um, and the cartilage. So I've been lucky, obviously not recently, but I've been lucky that I get to actually go into the OR room to um, collect this fluid mm -hmm. when the patients are put under. So I have seen a couple of these surgeries, yeah. Can I ask what your reaction is to those surgeries? <laughs> um, I mean, they told me it was, I think in general, orthopedics is quite a crude mm -hmm. surgical, um, I guess, type of surgery, but right. it lived up to the name. It's literally just like, almost like a big saw and they just like go in for it. <laughs> it was really cool. And obviously it does require a lot of precision because they have to calculate the exact angle that they need to then prop the tibia open. And obviously they don't want to, it doesn't slice all the way through the bone. So you have to be careful because you don't obviously want to mm. end up breaking and cutting the bone or causing any um, like splinters, mm -hmm. but it was really cool to watch. Yeah, so you said that there's a lot of inflammation after, so I assume the recovery process is lanky and like very painful or? Um, it's actually, so another point of the surgery is to hopefully delay or even prevent having to get a total knee replacement, which is kind of at end stage away, most people end up getting a knee replacement. Um, so the hopes of this surgery is to delay that or prevent that in the future. And so the recovery of this surgery is not nearly as terrible as or as hard as a knee replacement. Um, I think it's just non-weight bearing for a couple weeks, if that. And then after that, we do try to get our patients to be walking shortly after um, and then use obviously using walking aids for a little bit like crutches. There's some bracing involved as well. So depending on the patient too, they might get braces and like a brace and then um, start physio. Nice. Can I ask what the demographics are for your patient load? Because I'm wondering if this is more of a young person's thing who gets, uh, who gets these surgeries, or is it something that you do as a last resort for that varus load? Um, so it is considered to be more early stage away, because again, we are trying to 
prevent the progression of the disease. Uh, so our, our demographic is, is a bit younger. Um, I think the average, it's around mid 50s, I think is our average age. Um, so yeah, quite younger than those who are getting the knee replacements because those tend to happen 60s and 70s. Right. And so you mentioned you're in the ORs and you, um, you end up collecting the synovial fluid to see if there's any inflammatory markers. So can you tell me um, what you end up measuring? Um, what sort of inflammation are you looking for? Yeah, so I'm looking at a whole bunch of different markers of inflammation. We've been looking um, at, first of all, looking at MRI measures. So um, things like synovitis, which is just inflammation of the synovial fluid, we can actually measure on an MRI um, because it shows up in the sequence that we use, it shows up really bright because of the high water contact content compared to your bone. Um, so synovitis is one that we, I'm able to actually segment out the volume on MRI. Same with bone marrow lesions, which again are just um, lesions in your bone. They do have higher water content, so they show up bright against the contrast to bone. We've been looking at things like cartilage thickness as well um, to see how that maybe changes after surgery. And then in the synovial fluid itself, we've been analyzing um, multiple inflammatory markers. Um, so cytokines, we've been measuring a bunch of cytokines, um, some chemokines as well, um, and markers of degradation. Okay. So you're in your fourth year, right? So does that mean you're done most of the research work from the stuff that you were doing at the beginning? Yeah, so I'm, I would say I have like a good, start not a good start <laughs> i've made good progress um obviously i still do have a bit of work to do the with the program they don't want us to completely finish our phd in three years because um the whole point is that it is like a you're becoming a clinician scientist so they want us to take what we learn from our physio degree and then bring that back into our phd um so I have made um, a decent amount of progress. I've done a lot of data analysis. Uh, it'll just be a lot of writing, I think, over the next two years, which I think it sets me in a good position um, because with physio, obviously, I'm gonna be a lot busier, but if the bulk of my analysis is done, the writing isn't as time consuming, I guess. And did you find any cool uh, results that you are allowed to share with us? <laughs> um, yeah, so I found, um, there's a couple of different things. I also, my comps project I did. So in my faculty, our comps is a little bit different um, than some other ones. So we actually have to do a research project and then it's almost like a mini defense. Um, so we're not necessarily given just like readings and we have to study. Uh, we do like a little project and then it's a mini defense. And so my project, my comps project isn't exactly what I'm working on now, but it is related with OA. Um, and what I did is I do a systematic review um, looking at patients with knee OA and aerobic exercise in particular, because it's a common misconception that patients who have OA shouldn't exercise because it'll make your joint pain worse, which in reality, I mean, it is on a patient to patient basis, but in general, it actually improves pain and, fun and it improves function, decreases stiffness and um, swelling and all of that. So I wanted to look at aerobic exercise specifically and seeing if patients were meeting uh, standardized guidelines. So I was comparing, looking at all these studies that had any sort of aerobic exercise, so biking, walking, running, and swimming in patients with OA and 
seeing if they were meeting um, the ACSM guidelines. So basically it's 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity per week. Um, and so it was a lot of studies that we had to go through. I think I think it was like 7,000 articles or something that we started with. Whoa. We put it down to 42, I think was the final number. Um, and we found that, well, so, and then we looked at measures of um, like aerobic exercise, so heart rate, blood pressure, as well as pain and function, because we do know that exercise improves pain and function, that's well known. I wanted to see if it's improving all these other cardiovascular measures, as well as measures of inflammation. And we found that while it does improve a little bit, um, most of the studies are not actually meeting those standardized guidelines. Um, so that was really interesting to find because we're prescribing exercise and saying that we need to exercise our patients, but if we actually want the full benefits from it, we do need to exercise them at a capacity that will improve their heart rate and improve their blood pressure on top of improving their pain and function because there is a connection between OA and other comorbidities, whether one causes, the, whether OA causes the other comorbidities or vice versa, or maybe you're just more sedentary because you have sore joints and then that causes like cardiovascular disease or obesity is also a huge risk factor for OA, which has a lot of other comorbidities with it. Um, it is important that you are meeting those 150 minutes. So that was a, a fun project and an interesting paper um, to publish because it is a little bit controversial, I guess, because it was kind of targeting <laughs> clinicians and researchers and saying, well, yeah, great, you're doing an exercise intervention, but you need to be exercising these patients more. They are able to, again, most of them on a person by person basis, they are able to, and all it takes is 30 minutes of walking a day. Um, so try to get these patients exercising more. That's awesome. That sounds like a really interesting paper. We definitely have to link that to the <laughs> podcast, but I was just wondering, like, I personally have a lot of knee problems and like, I find like people tell me that running is bad for your knees, but I find that like biking is a lot harder for my knees. Like, do you have a recommendation for what kind of exercises are easiest on your knees? Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I'm a little biased because I am a runner, but um, I actually have had knee problems in the past too, um, related to a, another surgery that I had to get a while ago when I was younger. Um, and I actually found that running, but running properly does actually help. Um, and that's, again, this is like my opinion, but I think running is great if you're doing it properly. And that's including doing a proper warm up and cool down, which I never used to do. I used to just go out and run and come back and be really sore. So making sure that you are doing dynamic stretching before and even after each run is important. Um, making sure that you're not trying to go too much too fast is also important. So really slowly building up the distance that you're running. Um, and then, but if running really does cause a lot of pain, which it can cause for other people, um, biking is, is a good alternative. We do that for cross training. If we, for running, if we have like one day we're feeling a little bit, our legs are a little burnt out or our knees are sore, I'll hop on a bike instead. Um, another fun, I don't know if I'd call it fun, but another way to get some cardiovascular training in is uh, pool running. So that one is it's it's hard work you I have to wear a belt I can't keep my body up that long but you basically wear a belt if you want to and you do the running motion but you're in a pool 
Um, so it's, you're completely offloading those joints, which is nice, but you're still getting the motion of doing running. So let's talk about your background a little bit because you seem very knowledgeable in sports and you're also wearing your Western varsity jacket today. So uh, let's talk about the sports that you do while you're doing grad school. <laughs> yeah, so um, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I've just always been involved. I've played on a whole bunch of high school teams. I played um, competitive hockey and rugby as well. Um, and so when I I took a fifth year of high school um, in hopes of kind of improving my rugby skills and coming off to university and playing for a varsity team. Um, and I also wanted to play more competitive in the sum that summer. Um, but our first game of our first like our first game, the first play of the game, I um, very badly broke my leg. So I spiral oh, fractured my tibia. So it broke in three spots. Um, and then, yeah, it's not I'm fun. Sorry. No, that doesn't sound <laughs> fun at all. not happy. <laughs> she did not like me playing rugby. Um, so that was like a pretty long recovery. And then I went straight off to university. So I didn't really have the chance to um, play anything at that high of a competitive level. Um, and I also you're not missing out. I played first year varsity rugby. <laughs> Nothing yeah. exciting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Sore body all the time. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just hadn't really played anything competitive and um, I was kind of missing that like competitiveness. So it had been a while. I had played like intramurals and stuff, which I always enjoyed um but I started when I started the whole PhD thing I it was quite an adjustment for me and it was <laughs> pretty stressful at times so I turned to running um and turns out I'm not half a half bad runner mm -hmm. uh so the coach of the team told me to try out last year and I tried out for cross country and then track again tried out for track again in November and made both teams and so here I am that's awesome. And so do you think that running and um, doing track and cross country, do you think that's helped you with your PhD in any sense? Or is it a hindrance? Is it stressful? <laughs> Definitely. I think um, because I've always just had sports and it's always been something that I, you know, like I've always known I had to practice to go to. So I had to get my work done earlier. And that st like started in high school for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it actually helps me with my time management skills because if I know that I have practice at a certain time and it's every day, then, and I'm going to be there for three hours, then I have to get my work done beforehand. Um, and I think in first and second year university, especially, I really struggled because I no longer had sports or anything really. It was just school. And I actually did worse because I would either put things off or spend way too much time on things and overstudy. Um, so I think that having track and having cross country uh, really has helped with my time management skills as well as it's a great stress reliever. Um, I really like I preach exercise for a whole bunch of reasons and one of them being the psychological aspects, also the psychosocial aspects with being on a team and just having people that I get to hang out with on a daily basis who share same values as me is also really great. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I love that because we usually preach to, you know, find people outside of your PhD cohort mm-hmm. because it always makes things a lot easier than, you know, seeing the same people every day, dealing with the same stresses every day. So it's really nice to see that, you know, you've gotten out there, it's worked for you. Um, I just want to talk a little bit because you're so knowledgeable in exercise, you're in the PT program because you want to end up in that clinical work. Um, what do you see? How do you see yourself using this um, dual degree later on after school? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I kind of like flip-flop pretty frequently, but I think my end goal is to potentially do a postdoc somewhere right mm-hmm. afterwards. I still do want to continue with academia. Um, I think like my end, end goal would to be a, be a prof and have my own lab and have my own students. Yeah. Um, but I also don't want to lose the physio aspect. So my ideal situation would be finding a place where I can do both. So still practice as a physio. Uh, specifically, I think I want to stick to sport physio, um, but maybe teach a course on the side or still be continuing with research on the side to kind of upkeep both. And I think that they pair really well together. Um, so, you know, things that I'm researching, I can put into practice as a physio, but things I you when you're conducting research you don't really see everything that goes on in a clinic so being in a clinic I think is really important to help put that research into practice and also making sure that I'm conducting the research properly. Yeah I definitely agree with that I like that well I mean school starts tomorrow so what is your I guess you've been working all summer as well but does what is your schedule going to be looking like now with COVID and everything and is that affecting your life at all? Yeah, so we haven't gotten our full schedule yet for physio, and that starts tomorrow. Um, We have, we know that most of our learning is online, um, so all of our lectures will be online. We do get, I think it's about a week at the end of September of in-person stuff, um, some in-person lectures, I think, in some of our labs, and then we do get a month as well. Um, I think end of October to November, we're back in person. So obviously physio is like a very hands-on degree. Um, So hopefully, I think they're trying their best to make sure that we still get to do some of our hands-on learning because I think that that's very important as a physio is I would like to be able to practice (laughs) on people. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And I want to ask too, speaking of how COVID has affected our lives, has it affected the way that you've conducted your research in the past few months? Um, not part, not mine particularly. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've been, I was lucky because this trial had started before I started my PhD. So there was a lot of data already con- collected. Um, so I spent a lot of the summer analyzing all of the data, but it has impacted the recruitment of like new patients into the trial. Um, and obviously surgeries weren't, weren't happening for a while, or even the patients who are coming back in for their one-year follow-ups. We've missed a lot of follow-ups um, because of COVID, obviously, but we're now back in the lab, and we're allowed to be um, recruiting and work, like getting those patients back in, so things are slowly up and running, which is good, and the trial, we're near the end of the trial, too, so um, it's almost, we're near the end of recruitment, I should say. It's a two-year trial, but. So and how, 
And how does COVID affect like uh, varsity and stuff? Is there any changes in terms of like, I, I assume, are there going to be like team sports still happening or just like um, events? Yeah, we don't have cross country, like we don't have a season. So we ha have no OUAs or U sports. Um, we're lucky that our sport is outside. So um, we're still able to train as a team, which is really nice. So we um, are starting up practices next week um, as a, our official practices as our team, um, which will be really nice just to have everyone back together again in training. Um, and we're hoping to do, we'll probably have like a couple inner squad races um, and then potentially some virtual races with some other schools. We're not really sure what yet, but um, track hasn't been canceled yet. So we'll see what the winter sports bring. But yeah, so um, like I said, we're, we're fairly lucky that our sport is outdoors and minimal equipment, which is nice. So, so we're going to start winding down the episode a little bit. Um, one last question that I always like to ask grad students is, do you have any specific or one piece of advice to give to other prospective students going through this program? Um, I think for me, my biggest advice is to get involved with things on campus. Um, I think, I think, like like I said, for me, being busier is actually better um, because I am able to time manage. And I think that it is really important to get involved in your campus community to meet people outside of your research bubble um, and to meet people who share other interests, whether it's through sport or intramurals or all the different clubs that Western has to offer too. I think it is really important um, to meet people and to branch out outside of just your PhD and just your research, because if that was strictly your whole life, I think it would, I, I would go a little stir crazy for sure. So <laughs> that would be my advice. All and right. No. How, oh, sorry. One more question. And yeah. how do you manage your time? Like, do you have any t tips for managing your time or like motivation tips of how to like actually motivate yourself to sit down and do work right now? And yeah, um, I definitely, Really, it was hard, especially at the beginning of COVID, because I'm a very like routine person. And so to all of a sudden not have a routine was difficult. But I think my biggest piece of advice is to try and set a routine. Even if you're not going into campus, still trying to wake up at the same time every day, um, make your breakfast, you know, like make your coffee, sit down and do work. And then like I live off of my Google calendar. So it's like always full of everything that I need to do for the day, even if it's okay, go get groceries or this is my blocked time to cook dinner. I have like, I'm going to cook from this time to this time and then eat dinner. And then if I have some more studying to do. I'll go back to studying after. Um, so really that also helps too, is like writing down everything. And I find it holds me more accountable if I block off like a chunk that says studying. Um, go and, and bathroom shower <laughs> <laughs> not quite that bad but <laughs> you are allowed a five minute bathroom break now <laughs> all right so we're gonna end this a little bit uh right now but before we go i want to ask if there's a way that someone can reach you or contact you to ask you about your research or if there's a lab website anything like that and we'll link it to um the podcast file Sure. Um, yeah. yeah, my, you can email me directly. I'm fine with that. My email address is jschultz2 at uwo.ca. And then um, I also 
have an Instagram page where I kind of do talk about like grad school life and running and my research and physio. Um, so that as well, if you want to reach to me on my Instagram or um, I put some recipes up on there too, it's at the period rungry period researcher. Um, so either of those are fun. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was an awesome episode. Um, again, this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I have been your host, Vicki Telios, and today I was joined by co-host Nicole Poznov. We've been speaking with Jenna Schultz today, and our episode has been produced by Gavin Tolometti. If you would like to be involved with the show, don't hesitate to email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, you can find us on the radio at Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can find all of our archived episodes on our website at gradcast.ca, as well as on podcast apps such as iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. As well, you can now watch selective podcasts on our YouTube channel at Gradcast Radio. Thanks so much for listening.